the CTO Advisor podcast. I have with me Kevin Swaba, who's a good friend. And actually, you know, we're uh, related to the same person, which is a weird thing to say, but he is a really great person. And I've known Kevin for years. And he's not on the podcast as an account executive for Cockroach DB because we're close, not just because we're close, but because he has a really interesting career story that I think offers a really Simon Wardley-esque perspective to when you're close to value and you transition into a role that's a little bit further away from the value and what does it mean to still bring value to your customers? That's today's conversation. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Excellent. Uh, Keith, thanks so much for having me. Um, as you mentioned, you know, we've been you know, tight for a while, and uh, it's a, a pleasure to speak with you today and uh, share my story, and I hope it's of interest to all your listeners. So we're not going to start the story at Cockroach DB. We're going to start the story at uh, more of the business value end of your career. I've, I've enjoyed watching you for years. You know, you've I've watched you, you know, go from high school to college and now into your career. You're a seasoned professional. And, uh, you know, just me thinking about that journey is really impressive. But you you didn't start your career on the infrastructure side of the equation. No, you're, you're right. You know, it, it took me, I bounced around career wise a lot after college. Um, I did some stuff in politics. I did some things at investment banking during the great recession, right when banks were falling apart. So my timing for a lot of things was, was unique. <laughs> I was doing some public relations work and my wife was working in at sales at Salesforce at the time. Uh, in San Francisco, this is actually before we were married, and she said, "You should, you should go into software sales. There's a lot of transferable skills that that make sense." And uh, you know, it was, it was a brilliant suggestion. I, I definitely followed it and went into to Salesforce. And in in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, they are a huge employer. Everybody knows somebody who works at Salesforce, and uh, you can tell. I think working there that Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, was a former salesperson, in addition to being an engineer and, and, a, and someone who's worked in the technical space. He understands sales. He understands go-to-market. And the product was really built for go-to-market teams. So a lot of conversations were, were being had with business executives and leaders, sales leaders, marketing leaders, customer service, a lot of people who owned the lines of business that, were, that had a customer touch point. And in some cases, particularly being a cloud-based solution and working not just with big enterprises, but with a lot of small businesses, there were a lot of business leaders making uh, decisions independently of IT in some <laughs> cases <laughs> or, or in conjunction with them in some other cases, depending on what you know, products they were using and how things were being implemented. Um, but it was a a very much business value focused conversation like you you hinted at um, a lot of Sandler sales methodology. I'm not sure if people are familiar with that. You know, I know command of the message is kind of the new in vogue training, but a lot of uh, Sandler stuff and, 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 and command of the message are similar in the sense that you're trying to find business pains 
you're trying to find, you know, are the conversion rates on your sales a little low? Are you not getting enough leads? Are leads falling through the cracks? What's the business impact of that? And you can start to build an ROI case and quantify the potential value of making a change or investing in a new solution. And so a lot of the conversations were focused on kind of being like a consultant, but really for the business, not digging into the weeds of the technical side of things. And so that's where I started started things out. Um, yeah. If this was a different podcast, I'd love to go into like the sales methodology of Salesforce and how they use the platform to, you know, track and, 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 and monitor sales and the whole sales pipeline. I spent a little bit of time at an enterprise software sales in which I had to use Salesforce and the data was just horrible inside, you know, Salesforce is going to fix bad data. If you have bad data and uh, it's not magical and Salesforce is going to solve that problem. But I love your description of what Simon Wortley does with his, basically essentially with his maps, which is to show where the value of a object is or a thing is in relation to the capabilities that you bring. So if the value or object of value is you know, driving sales or uh, having a higher close rate, et cetera, Salesforce is about as close to, from a software or technology perspective, Salesforce is about as close to that, that object or value equation as you can get. And you described it like, uh, you know, you're not necessarily selling into IT. You may be selling into the sales director or sales VP or the customer service group, but not necessarily IT. That's exactly right. Yeah, in, in many cases, and there are, there are a couple, Salesforce is a huge platform now. They own Slack, they own Heroku, which is a building platform. So there's some other products that might touch IT, but they are a CRM company first. <laughs> and that was definitely the case where you're, you're engaging the business leaders traditionally way more often than, than the technical, the technical leaders. And as kind of a, you know, an application that you could quickly, you know, customize maybe with a, a small consulting contract, you know, a small consulting contract or small expert services compared to other projects that may be going on, you could kind of do these workarounds where you didn't need a ton of approvals and other things that you would for, you know, a database or core infrastructure, the other types of things that are much bigger projects. So that was that was certainly the experience there, and it's a a good a good viewpoint uh, to to start. And that's why I thought it would be interesting to have you on because you have this outside in perspective, and we'll reach the cockroach DB part of your story. So after you left Salesforce. What did you end up? Did you go directly from Salesforce to Cockroach DB, or was there a stop in between? There was there was a stop in between. I was at, at Salesforce for a few years, and then I went over to Twilio. And Twilio is similar in some sense to Salesforce in that it's a lot of customer engagement conversations, but there are APIs. You're not selling out of the box applications. They are communications APIs or APIs that are uh, designed to improve that eng engagement in some way, whether it's with data, whether with, if it's improving a, a communication. 
A lot of people use Twilio without even knowing it. If you're, you know, speaking to your Uber driver, that's not their actual phone number. It's not your actual phone number. That information is protected. All that stuff is happening through Twilio on the back end, whether it's a text message, voice call, email, contact center stuff. And I think it was an interesting to, to move into that realm because our first points of contact leveraging Twilio, and this was part of their their marketing strategy was we're not going after business leaders first. We're actually or technical executives. We're going after developers, the the larger you know the broader software development community, and that was the marketing approach of the company. And so a lot of the leads and a lot of the people that you initially talked to are people who want to just test, build something really quick, incorporate you know that SMS or voice API into their application, see how it goes. And that's generally the first point of contact within Twilio. So all of a sudden, I'm in a position where I have to be much more intelligent technically. I can't just go and, and, and do a business value conversation because a lot of those folks, that's not what they're thinking about first. They're not thinking about the why. They're thinking about the how. How do I build this? How does it work? And so I realized that my key to being successful there was... I'd still have to have those business value conversations, but I couldn't lead with it. I would have to build some expertise in how these APIs worked, kind of some unique things about telecom. Uh, I worked in Latin America a little bit with Twilio and helped them break into that market. So I learned a lot about how telecom works in that market. And through that, you build a little bit of trust and uh, with, with developers, with the customers, they may introduce you to more people. You help them build things. Actually, that's a really fun experience is to work with somebody to help them build something, build a POC together. And uh, so it was a, a transition to a more technical sale. It still had business value, but that wasn't the lead. And it was a, a new skill set that I needed to, to have. And I, I really enjoyed that, that technical sale. Yeah, so I'm liking the projection or progression to your role at Cockroach DB, you know, you purely business level conversation, you know, it's in your wheelhouse, you know, coming from investment banking background, political science background, you're dealing with people, you're dealing with problems and you're at these, you know, big intractable parts of either social issues or business issues that you're just using your transferable skills and saying, hey, here's, you know, people don't care if it's software or if it's uh, uh, a bunch of, you know, uh, gorillas in the background doing some type of automation to make, to solve the problem, being the conduit to solve the problem. They just want the problem solved. And now you're transitioning to, now people care at Twilio about how the problem is solved. Still similar conversations, like there's these big outcomes. And if, again, if we're looking at a Wortley map, we're seeing, you know, kind of the value move a little bit to the right instead of the left, closer to the business value, but still really important. Competition is starting to thicken up a little bit because there's more people in the infrastructure layer thinking about these API level problems. They may be a little bit more tactical in their approach. They could be a little bit more strategic, but overall competition, and there's a little bit more noise. 
Now that brings us all the way to the right. And now you're at CockroachDB. This is the platform that folks like Twilio or Salesforce, as you're looking at it at the stack, you want them to build their platforms on top of CockroachDB. So now the business value conversation completely changes. So talk to me about that experience. Yeah, it's a great point, right? I'd, I'd love to have you know, Twilio and Salesforce. <laughs> Shout and out I, to Twilio if you want, you know, if you if, if you need a new resilient database, I think Kevin there, can. There are some, some companies out there that are working with us that I don't want to, you know, I don't know that we have legal rights to talk through all the customers that we have at, at this point in time. But I do think that you're absolutely right. Those companies are perfect fits for what we do. And I think it's really interesting to go from, you know, out of the box applications to APIs working with developers, then to the database, right? The database where the engineers and, and folks who've been part of building the core of a company for a long time have been, are, are you know, are, are working. And it's a very different type of conversation. Um, it's very, very technical. I'll admit, I'm still learning a lot in the role. I'm very fortunate to work with a solution engineer who has in decades of experience working with databases because, you know, the, the ins and outs of how people have been able to, you know, scale their systems with an Oracle or Microsoft SQL Server or these other platforms that have been out there for, for years, you know, it's a challenging sale because if you're building something that is so core to the business of how an application performs, it may be the core product that performs, you're very, very careful about making changes. And so it's a uh, it's it's challenging for sure, and I'm I'm definitely uh, learning a ton about how to make the most of that. But I think it's it's really fun too because what I learned from Twilio is that it's really fun to be in a sales cycle where you're helping to to have another company build it, right? You're helping you're in the process of building together. You can't just hire a consultant, put something together really quick. You need to be involved in the process for how it works, right? And so I think that's very much the case with, with the database as well in terms of people really want to prove out the solution. They really want to test it for different scenarios. Um, it's almost like if, you know, I was used to kind of, if you were to make an analogy of selling cars, right? I was used to kind of going in there the one day, getting a feel for this person who really wants the car, kind of using that emotional intelligence to kind of get their confidence up and sign on the dotted line. And now all of a sudden I'm selling this huge, huge engine within a jet and explaining how the RPMs work and really getting nuts and bolts of how, how it all happens. And so it's a, it's a very fun but different conversation. And I think it's fun to be a part of something that's so core to so many applications. It's so central, you know, these, these SQL databases you know, there's different types of databases out there. There's the NoSQL stuff and the SQL stuff. You know, CockroachDB is more focused on distributed SQL. So uh, data that has to be consistent and correct. You know, applications that uh, involve a ledger, pricing information. If you're a bank, maybe it's the deposits or loans. That data has to be correct. It has to be consistent across. And so these are core applications, but it can be a variety of tier zero or tier one applications that it touches. Identity access management, metadata about a product. If you're talking about Salesforce and Twilio, the SaaS companies, metadata is critical to how everything works with those products. 
So those are the types of use cases that are interesting that you can touch all those different things with a core database. And that's why I'm, I'm excited about the work. So if we zoom out and then squint in, this is ultimately coming down to a question of business value, but business value from different lenses. You know, uh, what has to happen, you know, we may look at that initial Wortley map and say, oh, if the business, if the business outcome is the thing that we're aligning to, and then we have the database, which is right of Salesforce, is right of Twilio. We may look at it and say, hey, you know what? We're, we're selling the wrong thing. I'd argue you're probably looking at the wrong, wrong Wortley map. You're looking, the Wortley map now adjusts to kind of that value that Twilio brings that end value that Twilio brings or whatever Twilio is. And then the database is just right of that. It is right next to, it's essential to the value. So while the sales manager looking up the performance for last quarter pipeline versus uh, closing may not care what database is running Salesforce, the team at Salesforce absolutely cares to your perspective and you have to adjust your mindset and your purview. So talk to me about that process that you've gone over the past few months. If you've uh, adjusted from having the business value conversation with that far end user to having that conversation with the teams that's building products. Yeah, it's an interesting transition. Uh, and like you said, it's business value, but the lens is very different. And so it's interesting to see um, there are still compelling events and aspects that you want to ask about that come back to the core engine of that jet or that car, right? How often does it break down? <laughs> what do you need to do to get more workloads out of it and scale it and go faster? So those are interesting conversations. I'll give you an example would be if your product has an outage. Right. And every uh, most companies, most you know, software applications at some point in time have an outage of some sort. You know, they haven't been able to scale their applications. Maybe they're running globally. It's hard to get everything to go through one database within a cluster in Virginia. If you're running a global business, uh, it's very difficult if you're doing everything on AWS and AWS happens to have an outage, for example, for a brief amount of, you know, amount of time. You want to be multi-cloud. Um, there could be efforts to shard. So you're trying to scale your database, but when you shard and you do those manual types of things, it makes the builder's jobs harder because every time they have to do a release, every time they want to build a new feature application, they're having to add more work because of the sharded database. So those types of hints are interesting. They tell you how somebody has built something and how it will impact the future. Outages are obviously a key issue. You know, I'll, I won't say the name of the customer because I don't know if I'm a liberty to say it, but you know, there was a gaming company out there that had an outage for a certain key period of time um, when, let's just say, they were a very popular online virtual gaming platform. Uh, and it was a popular time for when a lot of people were going to play and they had an outage. You know, that was very, very expensive if you're thinking of it from a business value perspective. How does it impact your brand? Your brand? How many transactions did you lose? Did certain data uh, issues come up? Did you have an SLA tied to the service being available? 
And then you kind of tie it back to, well, how can I fix this? You know, I think that's where a distributed SQL and what Cockroach has to offer is interesting. Obviously, I'm biased because I work there and I'm offering the solution, but those are those are core things. And I think it's interesting to see how you can you can do that and how you know it tends to be with a lot of these kind of newer companies, you're gonna be able to just build things a little bit better often uh, because it's it's been built in a more in a newer way. Right. But I think of it kind of like house renovation projects. There may be a lot that you want to do to renovate your house. Right. And you want to you want to build it maybe from the foundation up and redo a lot. It can be expensive and hard to do that, a little risky to do that. And I think that's kind of similar sometimes to databases, particularly for tier zero and tier one apps. So oftentimes a lot of people are thinking, how do we test this out with a smaller ancillary app? Maybe it's not customer facing. You validate it, you see how it works, and then all of a sudden you start to use it for more critical applications and and you can go. So there's a lot of risk tolerant types of conversations within it that just weren't there. You know, if Salesforce didn't work, you had your old CRM or you can move stuff around, you can test APIs out, you can plug and play with other ones. But database is not like that. (laughs) Database is like... There's a lot more of a risk tolerant type of thing that I have to manage. And uh, it's been interesting to learn about that. It's definitely a key challenge. And I respect engineers who have to work with these things because they have a lot of pressure on them. You know, if somebody's testing and deploying a quick API or quick app, that's one thing. But when you start moving stuff around with databases, uh, you know, these site reliability engineers, these core heads of infrastructure, platform directors, architects, they have a lot of people looking at them to make sure that everything works right when they release. So I have a lot of respect for what they do. And, uh, you know, those are interesting conversations to have. Well, Kevin, I really appreciate you taking the time out to talk to me about this. I'm going to borrow a term from my buddy in Menlo Park, uh, Jeff Frick, turning the lens on business value and selling software to three completely different groups. And as you walk through the value chain of ultimately adding business value, seeing how you're able to connect the dots, you're not looking for a new job. And so don't take this way uh, as a way, but I, I, I'm going to, I'm looking forward to, again, watching your career progress from a kid in high school to as you mutter around after college to selling software and now selling different types of enterprise software to when you're leading the sales organization with one of the enterprise software vendors. I, I, um, I know it's going to happen one day because you have this uh, unique view. You're going, you're getting, you know, you're getting the darts in the back, so to speak, to uh, get the skill to understand how to, tell this value prop conversation from different lenses. And, it, and I think it's an extremely valuable skill for you in, in the long term. For those of you who want to learn more about the CTO advisor, you can follow us on the web, thectoadvisor.com. I'm on Twitter. Kevin isn't. So if you have a question for Kevin, you want to reach out to him, you can reach out to him on my behalf. He's on LinkedIn. I will have his LinkedIn bio on uh, the show notes. Talk to you next CTO Advisor podcast. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Keith. Take care.